a listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us each week as we break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what is going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. And today, Keith, we're asking the question, is Boris Johnson's time up in office? He has had a very tough few weeks, even months, facing a no-conscience vote by his fellow Tories, getting booed at the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, and there's been increasing speculation about his future. Now, Keith, what do you think Boris Johnson's future looks like, given the last couple of weeks in particular? Well, the two warning signs I think will occur next week. So on June 23, uh, the United Kingdom will have two by-elections, and the elections are taking place in very different types of constituencies. One is called a Red Wall constituency and the other one is a blue wall. So the red wall refers to red as the Labour colour in Great Britain. At the recent general election, um, the Labour Party had a disastrous time and a lot of traditional Labour seats, red seats, actually went to the Conservatives. It, It was a stunning victory for Boris Johnson. And so we talk about a red wall, which is basically... When you look at England, the southern part of England traditionally is conservative. The northern part, the industrial part, is traditionally Labour. So the Red Wall relates to these north of England constituencies, generally speaking, uh, that are solidly Labour. But at the last general election, a number of them moved across to support conservative candidates. Um, So there's going to be a by-election in one of those constituencies, Meanwhile, the other one is in the southern part of England. There's sort of the, the blue wall, traditional conservative heartland of England. And the risk there is that obviously Labour will never get elected, but it might go to a third party called the Liberal Democrats. And so what you would end up with, a bit like what we've seen in this country, that you've got conservative Liberal seats. Um, it's very confusing when you hear the word Liberal Uh, for overseas, because it's not a left wing, it's actually the Conservative Party. And we've had, at the recent Australian general election, a number of traditional Liberal seats, not going to Labor, but going to sort of fairly moderate Liberal uh, people concerned about the environment, etc. The term that we use is doctors' wives. Now, the voters are not necessarily linked to doctors, and they're not necessarily wives, but they are people who vote against their own class interests. And we've seen that over the years when people who are repulsed by the government's conservative government's attitude towards asylum seekers, for example, or the at the moment it's a lack of action on climate change. And so people could never vote Labour in some of these very nice upmarket seats, like my own constituency, which is uh, here in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. They don't vote Labour, but they will vote for a, a more moderate version of the right wing. And that's the risk for Boris Johnson in the second uh, by-election, that uh, he would have Conservative voters who are never going to vote Labor, but they might vote for a third party. So these are two uh, by-elections triggered, ironically, by MPs who both got caught up in porn scandals. Oh, dear. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. So... um, that's, that's, I think, the only similarity between the two constituencies. The reason why that 
both MPs felt it necessary to resign. So that's going to be a challenge for him. So it'll be interesting to see what happens next Thursday. The second uh, slightly longer-term project is um, something which comes out of the Privilege Committee of the House of Commons, where Boris Johnson has been alleged uh, to have lied to the House of Commons. Now, during the COVID crisis in the UK, which in a sense has not gone away, but anyway, people have stopped talking about COVID. During the COVID crisis in the United Kingdom, the government introduced very strict measures on people socialising, meeting together, even going to funerals. Remember that haunting picture of the Queen sitting alone uh, for the funeral of her husband, the Duke of Edinburgh. Well, the people who made those rules allegedly were indulging in parties at 10 Downing Street in the residence of the Prime Minister himself. And there were photos of the events, etc. So Boris Johnson, in his usual ebullient style, denied breaking the rules, then later on admitted, well, perhaps I might have broken the rules as a question of whether or not he's actually now lied to the House of Commons. So he's really got two immediate tests. I think standing back from this crisis for him, as you say, there was this vote of no confidence um, in which he enjoyed uh, just under 60% support. That's not a good margin. So when Mrs Thatcher and Theresa May had similar crises, they actually got a bigger percentage support for them, although both were gone within a matter of months. And this is why we're still speculating over the future of Boris Johnson. Therefore, there is this risk that if things go badly for him for next week, he will be back again uh, under scrutiny and perhaps having to be pushed out of office. Yeah, could you talk a bit more about the no-confidence vote? So that was what triggered that in particular within the party? I think there are a number of issues. Uh, the, the presenting issue is clearly Partygate. He's not being held responsible for the bad behaviour of, of the two MPs that have had to resign over pornography charges. But certainly the Privilege Committee issue, Partygate, etc., created a very bad impact. I might also just put this into context. He's a Bullingdon boy. Now, at Oxford, there is a dining club called the Bullingdon Club for the very wealthy young males. They will smash up a restaurant and then write a check on the way out. So they're super rich, super drunk, super violent, and they get away with it. They were also immortalised um, in Brideshead, revisited some of the people who behaved atrociously, but would never question that they had behaved atrociously. They will then pay up the bills. So a lot of people are saying this is Boris Johnson behaving as though he was still at Oxford, you know, one rule for the poor, another rule for him. So he, he's got away with so much over the years. My father uh, used to encounter him because uh, he was the local MP, and my father was impressed with him as an individual. You know, he, he's a very ebullient, energetic sort of person. And so almost in a sense charismatic. He's very good at branding. His hair always looks a mess, but that's part of his calculation that, mm-hmm. you know, that makes him memorable. And he's just great fun to be around, typical Bullingdon boy. And so he, he enjoyed a lot of support at the very beginning. As I say, he did brilliantly at the previous general election. But I think people are just getting a little worn down by his enthusiasm. And also the the really big issue is what is going to be post-Brexit Britain. This is the big challenge for him now. 
And we've got all these phrases like, you know, we're going to be Singapore on Thames and all the rest of it. That still hasn't been thought through. And that's, I think, his real weakness. There are these very big structural issues that are involved for him. Circling back a little bit to the Privilege Committee investigation that he's facing. So could you explain, because there's rules, you know, within the British government, same as anywhere else in the world, where if it finds one thing, then the pressure is then on the leader to resign. But I understand that there are some ways that Boris Johnson could actually get around that. Is that right? Well, yes, he would just simply say, I'll ignore the ruling. Yeah, right. (laughs) That will then trigger another vote of no confidence. Let me just explain a bit about how the Conservative Party operates. So the Conservative Party in 1922 had a backbench rebellion and they've then created in a more formalised sense if you like, a trade union, although I shouldn't use that expression for the the Conservative Party, but they've got their own arrangement for people being able to, to get together to meet, chaired by uh, one of their own numbers, not, not associated with the government. And so it's called the 1922 Committee to commemorate this rebellion, which saw the Conservative Party pulling out of a coalition government and going its own way. Um, and so these are the people who really are basically the Conservative Party caucus, which is what how we would call it in this country. And so you get spill motions, et cetera. Now, that committee draws up its own rules. One of the current rules is that the um, person subject to a vote of no confidence who wins that vote can't be subject to another vote for a year. Okay. So that gives it a degree of stability. Um which is something that uh, the rule didn't exist in Mrs Thatcher's uh, era. But the 1922 committee can change their own rules. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So they could say, well, we're not going to follow the rule in that case. Because remember, he's got such a a narrow majority support. And I think if things continue to go badly for him, then I think a number of people are saying, well, we need to change that rule and bring on another voter of no confidence and get rid of him. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter, and this episode is all about Boris Johnson and whether time is running out on his time in office. Now, Keith, we've talked a lot about the political issues the British PM's facing. What about the reaction from the public? What's been their response to his recent missteps, particularly lockdown party gate? Exactly. I think that um, public opinion has moved very decisively against him. He, as I say, he did brilliantly in the uh, general election, up against um, quite an interesting character called Jeremy Corbyn, uh, who tragically has been in Parliament for donkey's years and never got anywhere, and then suddenly found himself as uh, the leader of the Labour Party. The background to this, uh, because I've I've, uh, had mutual friends with Jeremy Corbyn over the years, good left-wing politician, opposed to apartheid, opposed to nuclear weapons, and just seen by the Labour Party as being too left-wing, or some would say too much of a conscience within the Labour Party. And then a few years ago, we had a, a scandal in Britain over parliamentary expenses when somehow the documents relating to what MPs had been uh, claiming as legitimate parliamentary expenses were suddenly revealed. And we saw how one MP, for example, charged to his parliamentary expenses the cost of cleaning out the moat of his ancestral home. So there was this huge reaction 
against uh, the behavior of politicians. And people looked down the list of everybody who'd made these claims and they got right down to the bottom. And there's this name of uh, Jeremy Corbyn Islington in, in North London. And I think he'd claimed for a typewriter ribbon or something like Something <laughs> or, small in or comparison. A pair of bicycle clips in order to enable him to get on his bike to cycle down to Westminster from Islington. And suddenly the British realised they had an honest politician. So suddenly this guy who'd been obscure for decades suddenly found himself under the spotlight. And then following the uh, Labour defeat in an earlier general election, uh, people said, you know, let's give this guy a go. At the very last minute, he put in the nomination. At the very last minute, he won, never expecting ever to be leader of the Labour Party. So this is somebody who's gone from backbench obscurity to become leader of the opposition. And the problem is that he let everybody down, tragically, because he actually was a supporter, by looks of it, of Britain leaving the European Union. A lot of people who voted in a previous general election and who, where he did so well against Theresa May, uh, were assuming that he was actually in favour of remaining in the European Union and therefore they supported him. But in fact, he turned out to be someone who was in favour of pulling out of the European Union. <laughs> and so a lot of the enthusiastic young people who were involved in rallies that were the biggest electoral rallies people have seen since 1945, You've got veterans of campaigning saying that Jeremy Corbyn was exciting all these people. But then, you know, once he actually got into this position of being leader of the opposition, it was found that he was not a great supporter of remaining within the European Union. He was not a supporter of having a new referendum. Remember, a lot of the young people didn't vote in the previous Brexit referendum and they're paying the price for it now. And so the last general election, Boris Johnson up against Jeremy Corbyn did brilliantly well with a lot of angry Labour voters saying you're so disgusted with Jeremy Corbyn that they were going to vote Conservative for the first time in their lives. And hence, you know, the phrase, the red wall has been broken. But the problem is that Boris Johnson has let down a lot of people. Politics, (laughs) hey? Politics, absolutely. (laughs) And I think that the big long-term structural issue is what is the future of Britain outside of the European Union. He's got no clear vision of what Britain is going to do. He's a transactional politician. He is just somebody who does quick fixes and he's a very skilled negotiator but does not think long-term. There's no vision there. And I think a lot of people are saying, well, you know, we're out of the European Union. What now? I think one of the reasons why he's playing such a hard game over the Ukraine and the Russian invasion, why he's such a big supporter of uh, President Zelensky, is simply that he's trying to make himself into a wartime prime minister and um, trying to draw attention away from the domestic issues in Great Britain. On that, how hard do you think Boris Johnson is going to fight to hold on to power? Looking at all these things that you've explained to us, there's a lot working against him. Do we expect that he will fight tooth and nail to hang on? Or could it be more of a gradual kind of, okay, I concede, I put my (laughs) hands up and I quit? Look, all his life he's wanted to be Prime Minister. So he's got that job. I think he will want to fight tooth and nail right down to the very last minute because this is really what he's seen his role to be. He's a biographer of a brilliant Prime Minister, Winston Churchill, 
everything is geared himself to taking on that top job. But the tragedy is that you can get people who are brilliant at campaigning but not brilliant at governing. And that's his failure. He cannot govern the UK. Who could replace Boris Johnson as leader? Well, my sources talk about Dishi Rishi. So this is Rishi Sunak. So um, a uh, very elegant, very charismatic person uh, with a background from the Indian subcontinent. So he'd get that Indian vote very easily. And he made a lot of money in the banking sector. He's a uh, comes from Britain's ruling elite. And he's currently Chancellor of the Exchequer, so he lives next door. So all he's got to do is to move from 11 Downing Street to 10 Downing Street. His problem, I think, would be that he also is implicated in Partygate because obviously being the neighbour, he got drawn into some of the parties as well. Uh, So I think that's going to be a bit of a question mark over him. And also his wife has some sort of issue with her nationality. So she's going to have to, I think, to, to be on the safe side, become a British citizens start paying British taxes and all that sort of stuff. Uh, So it's an incredibly wealthy family, well-connected family, and the British seem to enjoy having those sorts of people in 10 Downing Street, well-connected, wealthy, et cetera. So he would be my candidate. But because he's already such a front-runner at the moment, the risk is that there may well be a completely surprising candidate to come out. And it's worth bearing in mind the Conservative Party, although it is supposed to be Conservative, has produced two female prime ministers and the Labour Party, which is supposed to be the left-wing party, has not. And now it may be they're going to have a person of Indian origin as prime minister when the Labour Party has not. So it's very interesting for me that the Conservatives are willing to take a risk. And that's part of the the attitude of the British ruling elite, that they are risk-takers. Uh, you've only got to see a steeplechase race and, and fox hunting and you know, the number of people who break their necks, but they're, they're risk takers. And that seems to be part of the DNA of the Conservative Party. So having um, a person of colour in 10 Downing Street would be a very radical development, but you would get that from the Conservatives, not the Labour Party. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens next week on June 23rd, the first of these two big tests for <laughs> Boris Johnson. Uh, thank you for your insights, Keith. We appreciate it. Thank you. Listener.